Let's get to work. I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn and open to Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses uh, 26 through 38 today. Luke 1, 26 through 38. When you find your place, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. You are invited to read out loud along with me. And at the end of that reading, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. I invite you to respond in true praise by saying thanks be to God. Let's begin. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Today, as we look at this passage in our fourth week of Advent, it is a it is a bit of an odd year this year because our fourth week of Advent actually lands on Christmas Eve. And, uh, and so there's this strange uh, mixture that's going on. And as is every year in Advent, on the fourth week of Advent, there is a turning where we have specifically been looking at the second coming of our Lord Jesus knowing that Christmas is right around the corner, where finally on the fourth week of Advent, we specifically look at that moment right before the first incarnation. And we're invited to enter into that kind of expectancy, that kind of pregnant anticipation uh, that Mary is ultimately in from this moment on until Jesus is born as we look forward to the second coming of the Lord. I mentioned last week that like the celebration of Hanukkah by the Jews, Advent is for us a vigil of light. This is why the candles are lit during this time to bear witness that the light, Jesus, the Son of God, has already come once into the world. And hear me, beloved, He is coming again. Jesus is coming back. 
And like the parable of the virgins with their oil and their lamps, we are called to be waiting and anticipating His arrival. Now each week in Advent has a theme. And each week celebrates different aspects of what we have received in the gift of our Savior Jesus Christ who has come to us and in whom we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. The first week we spoke of our great hope. Hope in Christ's salvation. Hope in His imminent return. The second week is about peace. Peace that is a result of the Gospel. Peace of, from, and with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ for us and on our behalf. He who will bring ultimate shalom when He returns again. Where all of the world will be brought back into alignment with God's will and His Word completely at peace. And this will all be accomplished again in and through Christ. And last week we spoke of the great joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. By grace, through faith, it is an internal possession which is able to affect our external life, helping us to live our lives even as John the Baptist and Christ Jesus our Lord, who for the joy that was set before them disregarded the shame that they might live for the glory of God. And now we've come to the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. The Sunday that is all about the great love of God. Our text today is that great scene from redemptive history known as the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, or simply the Annunciation. It is where the Ave Maria, or Hail Mary song, is drawn from the words of Scripture. It is perhaps one of the most commemorated of all scenes in Scripture through art, as it is surely not missed by anyone that this was a pivotal moment in redemptive history. I mean, where do we draw the line of the B.C. A.D.? Well, when does life begin? <laughs> At conception. <laughs> We're right there. We're right there. And so why was this moment so pivotal? What is it about this scene that is enough to set our hair on end when we read it and consider what it must have been like to be Mary on that day. Because everything in that moment has changed. You see, the silence that had existed for 400 years, at least according to the Chronicles of Scripture, the silence that existed for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament has been broken. The angels are once again descending and ascending, heralding the words from the very throne of God to the children of men. It was a dawning moment. The moment foretold by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. But dawn is not the time when everything can be seen. I'm reminded of this every year in hunting season as I sit in a deer blind or out in the woods and wait for that moment uh, to come. Dawn is a mystical time. 
when only shadowy figures can be made out and often the mist of dew is still heavy in the air, making everything feel weighty with the magic and mystery of all that particular day might bring. The light grows, and as it does, the revelation of all that is in its path becomes more and more clear. This dawning scene between the archangel Gabriel and the Virgin Mary here in Luke chapter 1 is that moment when the first shafts of light break out over the horizon. Radiant beams, the song says, the dawning of redeeming grace. This was the inbreaking of God's love into the world He had created. The time of fulfillment had come. The very first gospel word spoken to His beloved, chosen, and created children, the Proto-Evangelion, that it was through the seed of the woman that a male child would come to crush the serpent's head. And what have we said? That scarlet thread was then pulled and pulled and stretched throughout all of redemption, redemptive history, throughout all of the Old Testament. And it had been stretched and pulled through generations of women and their sons. With each firstborn male child, the question of, is this he? And then as time progressed, what would happen? Like dawning, that more words from God would come through His prophets. Even as we already read the word of the Lord from 2 Samuel to David today. And at the end of our Old Testament reading, he said, I will establish your throne forever. But David died. Again, renewing that promise in the psalm as we read. And there we begin to see, oh, it was through David, but it wasn't about David. Another is coming in the line of David. And even here in our text today, we see that God is faithful to fulfill that promise as He says to Mary that the Lord will give Him the throne of His father David and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom there will be no end. You see, that scarlet thread had stretched and stretched and stretched. And then it abruptly stops. Right here. At the feet of Mary. And the message that she receives from the archangel Gabriel is filled with such prophetic language that Mary can make no mistake. If she was schooled in the Scriptures at all by her father, And due to what seems to be this child that is full of grace and favor of the Lord, it seems that she must have been. But even if she was not, we know that she travels shortly after this to visit her cousin Elizabeth who is with child and Gabriel had told her. We know that her cousin's husband Zechariah is a priest in the house of God. And surely if she were to come and share what was spoken to her, if she had missed it, there's no way that Zechariah would have missed the prophetic words that were shared with her by the angel. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. And he shall be called. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Gabriel 
was wrapping this message in all of the prophetic language that had been spoken of the Messiah before He came. And how these words must have swirled around Mary at that time and for the rest of her life. But what they mean for us is that the light of the love of God was dawning in the world for us. And how can we know this? It's in the name. What did He say? And you shall call His name Jesus. Now, Luke is presumably a Greek Gentile writing for a Gentile and Greek audience in Greek language. But Matthew was a Hebrew writing primarily for a Hebrew and Jewish audience, but also in the Greek language. And if we look at Matthew's words related by the angel who also appeared to Joseph, the betrothed of Mary, were clued in to something here. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel says to Joseph of his betrothed Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. You see, the world has been waiting and groaning, anticipating the advent of the Son of God the expression of the love of the Father to His people to come and deal with their sin. In the midst of the fall, the words of grace were spoken that a Son was coming. And truly, Jesus was not merely born. He was sent. You see, Jesus did not begin to exist at His conception in Mary's womb, but has eternally existed, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit who are to be worshipped and adored. But His coming into the world is the expression of the love of God. Don't miss the meaning of the message in the simplicity of its delivery. You've heard it before in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not what? God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And you see, our faith is not about our love for God, though that is important. Our love for God is not the wellspring of our faith. Rather, the wellspring of our faith is found in the love that God has for us. John who wrote these words in John 3.16, will again write to the church this time in his first epistle. And in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10, through 10, he says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, he says, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is love, that God sent His only Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is propitiation? can't even hardly say the word. It is a complete and total wrath-absorbing blood sacrifice. Jesus was sent. Jesus was born to die bruised so that He might crush the serpent's head. So that even here, 
in the story of the incarnation, in the story of Christmas, the message of the gospel has not changed. It is still Christ and Him crucified for sinners like you and me. This is why the incarnation is so important. Because of what He was sent to do. And in Jesus, what do we see in all of His life? In Jesus, we see the faith of His mother. What was Mary's response in all of this? To this strange greeting from the angel. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. What, what is her response to these words that He says? Besides a question of how can this be? Because according to her mind, it must be coming naturally, but she hasn't been with a man. But after the angel describes to her words that reflect the very beginning of the Word of God in Genesis chapter 1, where the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep and incubated over emptiness and brought life. So, Gabriel says, the same creative power of God shall overshadow her and incubate over her and bring life where so far there has only been barrenness. Once he tells her this, her words are simply, let it be to me according to thy word. This is, of course, contrasted by the words of the Israelites in the Old Testament when they received the law of God through Moses and they said, this we shall do. We're going to do it. But here, instead, Mary doesn't say, oh great, got it. I'll get on that right away. We don't see words of action, but rather of passive submission from Mary as she responds from a place of faith in a passive voice, may it be done to me according to thy word. And this is the faith that we see Jesus exhibiting all through his life and ministry. Jesus' life is marked by this same faith, not because he shared the same blood as his mother, mind you, but because she shared the same Spirit as her Son who overshadowed her and filled her with the same faith in the Word of God to her for her life. And so Jesus came and did only that which His Father told Him. His whole life was a living expression of may it be done to me, Father, according to Thy Word. Even up to the hour of His death, when He would declare, sweating great drops of blood, Father, not My will, but Your will be done. And it was. Jesus did what He was sent and born to do. To be that propitiatory sacrifice for His people and to save them from their sins. That is why we celebrate the season of Christmas. We celebrate the advent and birth of Jesus because His coming was for us. Not only in the same way as His death, but in preparation for it. He came and was sent for us and in our place by the great love of God. 
And what do we do with this love? The love of God for us must lead us into love for others. All God's creatures, but especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, that is the very context that John shares the words that we read earlier that in this is love made manifest that God sent His Son to die for our sins. He begins by saying, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is John's conclusion? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then further down in verse 19, he will simply say, we love. We love God. We love each other. Because He first loved us. So because God in Christ has loved us and demonstrated His love in such an extravagant way as we celebrate the Incarnation and as we think about the Second Coming, let us love one another with the same love that we have received. Amen? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise You and thank You for Your Word that today reminds us of Your great love for us. And even as we bow our heads, Lord, let us be reminded that there is really only one thing necessary to receive that love, and that is to repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, for those of us here today who have already come to that place of faith, Lord, we simply say, God, we believe. Help Thou our unbelief. Help us in those places of our faith where, God, we are struggling. Lord, where we are struggling to perhaps reconcile the truth that we know with the life that we live. And for those who may be here today or who may have the chance to hear this message somewhere else who have not come to that place of faith, Spirit, we ask by that same creative power that You would come and hover over their hearts and lives and bring life where there once was barrenness as Christ dawns in their heart even as He has dawned in ours. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as we move into a time of communion that we all feed on Christ in our hearts by faith today. Amen.